This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Ladies and gents, welcome back to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. As you're probably starting to catch on, I tend to nerd about all things sales enablement. And this episode features a guest who is going to challenge everything we think we know about enablement, down to even its very name. Chris Kingman, global head of digital sales enablement at TransUnion, is bringing some absolute zingers to the reveal sphere, including his take on the mega shift field sales has undergone in these post-pandemic times. Let's dive in with Chris and hear how he approaches digital first selling and enables his teams to get to the heart of any deal without whining and dining. Fitting when we talk about what exists in the sphere of Reveal's influence that we bring forth, oh, Captain, my captain, perhaps someone that you may recognize from the Starship Enterprise. No, it is not Jean-Luc Picard, but it is someone who has spent a decade traveling through all the various ecosystems and universes of sales. Chris, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Danny. I appreciate the uh, Star Trek tie-in. Love to meet a fellow nerd. For sure. You're in good company there. We'll try and make sure that we keep it to sales enablement and not get into William Shatner trivia. But that being said, man, talk to us as the operative term on your LinkedIn profile is not sales enablement, but in particular, digital. And I'd love for you to shed a little bit of light on the decade of experience or more that you've had at TransUnion. What has been the evolution from what I would say is a pretty sort of, I don't know, separation of church and state inside sales or early in career sales versus what is oftentimes on this pedestal, field sales, enterprise sales. We're out in front of the customers. We're walking the hallways and the corridors, being on site. Chris, give us your take on how we are seeing sales take shape in the 21st century. Sure. So let's just call out what you said there, field sales on a pedestal. That was the way I became introduced to field selling. And I came from field sales very early on in my career before I got into enablement. But it was always presented that way. This is real selling. This is face-to-face. This is how you sell. Customers don't want to buy over the phone. I always just kind of didn't understand that. Maybe it was I was just too naive. Maybe I wasn't in enough boardrooms closing deals or anything like that. But I got my start in inside sales doing enablement at a tech startup and slowly but surely building out functions of enablement or disciplines of enablement long before enablement was a term or a concept. And about halfway through, say, the last 10, 12 years, some of your bigger consulting firms started putting out the data saying sales is going to move to digital by 2025, by 2030, 80% or some very high percentile will be digital. And that was such a eye-opening statistic for me, who was trying to really make something out of inside sales. We were at a $13 million business that got bought by TransUnion. Myself and the leadership team grew it to $100 million in about four or five years, all through inside selling. And between those experiences, if you will, or revelations, my faith in digital selling was cemented. And the lockdowns, the pandemic was just an accelerant to move everybody to it. And I think a lot of organizations globally are realizing, hey, we don't have to send people or, you know what, some of our people aren't that good and their best sales skill 
is a captive audience, right? You shouldn't rely on donuts to close deals. You should rely on value. And I think all of these are truths that our colleagues in sales are facing today. And even our customers are like, you know what? I don't want to see you anymore. There's no value. I'm too busy. And I think all of that stuff has kind of helped focus me on saying, all right, we've got the tools. We know what skills work. We know how to navigate this space. Let's make the absolute best out of this. So this idea of what was brought to a head because of the pandemic, it no longer is required to have donuts in hand to get deals done. I love that analogy, Chris. Fantastic. And I'm curious, as you consider, okay, what the pandemic did to bring things to a head, debunking this belief that, oh, real sales, as you were talking about, right, when you started your career, they're done in the boardroom in person. And yet a lot of companies were still wildly successful during the pandemic running business from a 13-inch laptop screen in their home office. Well, now what was previously seductive and intoxicating about, I get to be on the road, I've got an expense account, I'm going to hit the links and take people out to steak dinners. No longer is that a predeterminate to you closing big seven and eight figure enterprise grade deals. I feel tremendous pride that I do believe the pandemic has finally given some credit where credit is due and given down market commercial sales teams a fair shake that they're doing really creative things and no longer reliant, not that they were before, but certainly moving out of the pandemic, no longer reliant to the belief, ah, yes, that is what looms on the horizon or that is what is going to unlock the next six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure threshold that I want to achieve. So talk to me, Chris, a little bit about maybe the unsung hero role that commercial sales historically may be played and where are they now being elevated to a position of authority and creativity that they rightfully deserve. Let's talk about the sales playing field. And effectively, globally, it was leveled. It was leveled from lockdowns for a significant amount of time. And so that meant that a seven-figure deal was engaged, if you will, at the same sort of channels and this dynamic as five-figure deal, six-figure deal. All of the engagements were the same. And what this produced was a few things. One, it actually now put the seasoned veteran inside seller into a better position because I believe organizations took note that, wait a minute, these people close deals in a digital channel. What do you mean they know how to sell online? I don't think anything has fundamentally changed besides the technology and maybe some kinds of selling tactics. So it brought into light these people who are very comfortable selling in this capacity, who understand that you don't have eight months to make a deal and negotiate and do a dinner and a round of golf. You have 15 minutes to convince me to give you 30 minutes. And so that kind of put in the limelight, there's a different skill set here. There's a different mindset here. There's a reliance on technology. There is a reliance on individuals' ability to articulate value. All of these things were bubbled up. I'm sure you went through the same thing at the beginning of lockdowns and the, everybody moving to digital is let's talk about how to have engaging presentations online. And those were great, but it didn't change inside selling, right? You know, your ability to whiteboard on a screen will not make or break a deal. Your ability to do an interactive PowerPoint will not make or break a deal. It's your ability to convey value in this digital capacity in a short amount of time. An inside seller understands there is a time crunch here. There is a constraint here. This person doesn't have eight months of phone calls in them. They've got a few interactions. And the flip side of this coin is this created an incredible opportunity for our colleagues in field sales. Hone your skills, move the deal along. 
until when you do meet in person, it's actually forecasted at 75%, right? There's no hedging. You're going out there to close a deal. You're not doing anything else. I can remember hearing what was at the time represented as the distinction of down market and up market sales that what we do up market is far more strategic, right? There's procurement and legal and a lot of other cross-functional teams. And I think that is an accurate representation. And down market, it's formulaic. It's very tactical. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, Chris. How can we perhaps shed more light on the true strategy that is at play in inside and digital sales such that those attributes of a sales cycle aren't uniquely reserved for upmarket. Because I do believe that there is strategy. And as you're talking about, you know, how are we weaponizing technology to infuse strategy with efficiency and efficiency oftentimes being something that was surrendered for the sake of a seven figure, eight figure air quotes, strategic deal. Talk to us a little bit about that balancing act of strategy and tactics. You're completely right. At the highest level, this is a strategic sale and those skills and the necessities of that deal still exist at the highest possible point in your market. And at the lowest possible point in your market, this is a formulaic, volume-driven, paint-by-numbers, do this, do this, do this. It's that middle area where we're really seeing the transition. I think some of the things that I've talked to a lot of my colleagues about is what I like to call a push-down. So historically, Inside sales, field sales will have an annual true up of what accounts sit where. That bar should be consistently raised. And inside sales can work bigger accounts for far less than a field sales person. The cost of sale is drastically smaller. So how do you get there? Well, let's look at the technology. And what does the technology say? What does the data say? You're going to see if you dive in that the level of activity needed to maintain a $100,000 account is probably the same amount of activity needed for a $250,000 account. So push them down. Add two more headcount, which will be a fraction of the cost of field sales. Implement the right data and the right touch points and the right automation to make sure this person is consistently either top of mind, reached out to, insight share, they're engaged. It's an actual conversation versus, hey, how's the weather down there? And work these accounts. And if you have a CRM that is of, I would say, moderate complexity or greater, you'll be able to see that data today. Go look at a sampling of 100 of your second, third, and fourth tier accounts and look at the amount of activity that goes into maintaining these relationships that sit with field sales. You're probably going to see they're maintaining the top 25% of those and the rest get quarterly calls maybe. Run a pilot, run a test, give a tranche of accounts to inside sales, set the terms between inside and outside and say, hey, what kind of service does this customer get? Where can we meet them? And then have inside sales run it. And I think what will come of it is this group down here of inside sellers has the skills to maintain a $10,000 account, $100,000 account, $250,000 account. There's not a lot of variance there. Should there still be the outside field sales level of attention to detail? Absolutely. That'll never go away. And some of those customers absolutely demand it and command it too, right? Your biggest spenders, your biggest proponents and partners, you want to keep them in the loop. You want to keep them happy and you want to give them an army of people from your organization to support them and make them successful. Your lower tier customer understands, I think now, especially if you talk enterprise buying and even lower to like individuals buying, they understand where they fall in the segment or in the tier of support and access, right? I spend $1,000 a year with your company. 
Maybe I get a quarterly touch base and that's okay. And I think customers are used to that level of engagement. And in reality, I think a lot of them don't necessarily need it if they're only buying something from you for a limited use case. And so some of the themes that are emerging are what I call the push down, right? Let's get more into the inside sales organizations. Let's also make it easier for inside sellers to mirror the messaging that our biggest customers are getting. And what is an actual engagement? What's the value of the engagement? Use data to, when you go to a customer, have the best possible conversation other than, hey, how's it going? Look at cross-sells, upsells, industry trends. All of that can be productionalized, sped up, put into cadences, spread across any number of mediums or channels you want to use and reported back on from a qualitative and a quantitative perspective to tell you, is it working or not? So this is a perfect segue, Chris, because as you're leaning into this push down approach, giving more at bats, maybe from what was historically, you know, a higher tier threshold that inside wouldn't touch that is now being given at bats to touch. What are the tools that are unlocking that possibility for you at TransUnion? And by extension, what are the explicit KPIs that you guys are tracking to certify and validate as you're going into this new philosophy of selling digitally that it's working? So tools-wise, we use a tool that drives cadences, and there's a number of platforms out there. And for listeners who don't know, a cadence is simply a series of contacts across a variety of channels. And there's Outreach, there's Groove, High Velocity Sales. There's a number of these tools out there that will help streamline these things. And they have the benefit of allowing you to test, is it good or is it bad? Like A-B test them. So the first thing that we do is we set up cadences and we break them down by why are you calling this person? Is it a contract renewal? Renewals are the easiest ones. Is there opportunity sitting at a certain percentile where you need to act? Are these inbound leads from a campaign or a webinar? We try to load like activities up. That way there's no deviation in what you have to do when you're reaching out to this person. So if it's a lead follow-up, it's the same conversation every time. If it's a renewal, it's the same conversation every time. And that way you can speed up the actions that they're doing. Also, we learned a long time ago that I think it was like eight out of 10 dials resulted in a voicemail. So we can voicemail drop and we have a dialer system. There's a lot of dialers out there, like Tenfold, like Amazon Connect. There's a bunch of other ones. Drop a voicemail about exactly what you need to say to that customer. And it gets you away from saying, hey, um, this is Chris. I'm calling you TransUnion. Um, and I want to talk um, to this is Chris from TransUnion. I want to talk to you about your contract renewal. I've got a really great rate lined up for you. There's also a couple services that I think you're underutilizing I'd like to talk to you about. Perfect voicemail every single time. You know you're going to leave more voicemails than actual conversations, so why not make that as perfect as possible? So we use that. I would say the second most important piece of sales technology after your CRM is call recording and analysis. In real time, not only can you tell what a seller's doing, are they exhibiting the right behaviors? Are they saying the right things? Do you even sound coherent on the phone? But you can also hear and analyze what customers are saying. So you can wait for a white paper to tell you what's going on in your industry, or maybe Google News will give you something. Or you can just scan your customers across a certain segment. What are we hearing? What are they saying? What are the challenges? You pair that up with intelligent sales training. And we have a sales career path that my team developed I'm very proud of that takes brand new people, brand new sellers out of college or out of their first role in sales. And within three years gets what we like to call the master's degree in sales. And so now you have people being told who to reach in what channel and what to say. 
armed with the skills to know what to say when they're talking to people or armed with the abilities to leave the right messages that are engaging and make you want to call them back. And then we can analyze every single interaction for key themes and outputs. Are the people saying what they need to say? What are our customers saying? And we use all of that to feed right back into, are the cadences working? Are the channels working? Are people trained right? Are they saying the right things? Is the messaging good? Are we in the right channels? Our customers are providing us feedback. What are we looking at? And then the second piece to your question is, how are we tracking this? Well, the downside, if you want to look at it that way of everybody going digital, is that we lost the contained environment of a call center. And while there were many benefits of that, of everybody in one group, so you could observe what was happening, there's also many, many upsides because we lost inside sales call centers, but the majority of the world also vacated their workplace. And so now we have the ability to sell in a little bit broader parameters, a little bit more flexible parameters. And so instead of saying, sit in that desk, 50 calls, three hours on the phone, we've reduced that. And we're looking at, okay, what is the correlation between activities, sales activities? So outbound emails, calls, voicemails, tool usage, compared to lead creation and conversion, compared to opportunity creation and conversion. How much activity does it take to close a deal? And so we're moving away from make a lot of phone calls, results in this, results in this, and then here's what you close, to if you do this level of activity, you'll be 96% successful. And because to me, the nine to five is largely gone. You don't have that selling window where you know somebody's probably at their desk. We had to adapt. According to recent research done by Rain Group, it takes an average of eight touches to get an initial meeting with a prospect. But in that same report, Rain Group shares that high performers actually only need, any guesses, five touches. Why is that? It's for the exact reason that Chris is sharing with us. Amazing sellers know how to prioritize quality over quantity. These high performers usually tailor their message and their value prop based on the prospect's needs. This helps them get that mean faster and in turn, close faster. Who doesn't want to close faster and improve their chances of making it to President's Club? Well, here's more from Chris on how his team approaches prospecting in these very nomadic times. I did another podcast and I gave the example that if you're a seller on the East Coast of the United States and you try to call somebody from 2 to 3.30, you're probably not going to get them because if they're a parent, they're probably picking up their kids. It's a bad prospecting window. Before the pandemic, probably a good prospecting window, but it's gone. So now when do you do those calls? Well, we have the tools to tell us when the cadences are. We have the information from the dialer and the cadences to tell us, are we connecting with people or not? Let's readjust these. Let's send emails at four o'clock, six o'clock, send them at eight or nine, or send them very early in the morning so you get people at the beginning or the end of their day when they're more likely to open these things or be receptive. All of that data and all of sort of the metrics have really been reevaluated to kind of reflect the reality of when people are most likely to engage with you. We talk about the art and the science of sales. We can do all these things and yet still we're human beings. And I think there's a tipping point when we are ripping our sellers in so many different directions, say you have to be great at voicemails. And then also you have to be great at demoing. And then if you don't have at the apex of the food chain, all the cross-functional resources like value engineering and sales engineers and so forth, but you're in that middle tranche, is the expectation now for sellers that they have to be jacks of all trade and masters of none? In other words, we're building up with technology and your enablement program, right? Masters of sellers. 
we're building up the Delta Force, the Black Ops, the Navy SEALs of sellers, but they can only do so many things perfectly. And I'm just wondering, how can we make sense of what feels a little paradoxical, Chris, where yes, we could tell you, you need to be good at X, Y, Z, but you may only have the mind share to be good at X or even X and Y. You need both. You definitely need both. And just coming from my experience, the strategic generalist, if you want to call it, is perfect at the right customer segment. Let's say your biggest contract's $100,000, but your run-of-the-mill customer is $1,000. They probably don't need really deep technical knowledge. They just need to know what it does and how much it costs. And you can take a green seller with maybe two years experience and teach them the basics and give them generic industry overviews and trends, and they will do just fine. It's when you go up market that I've seen specialization serve sellers better. And it's because there's a level of, let's say, market knowledge and industry knowledge, right? And then there's the regulatory pressures and trends and all of that crazy stuff too that aids in the conversation. To me, your field seller should be an expert, if not an ex-SME in the industry that they sell in and or a ex-user of your solution, right? I use this in your role, Mr. Customer, Ms. Customer, here's how it benefited me. The higher up market you go, the deeper into the industry or the segment you should go. And it just adds to the value conversation that you can have because you move away from commodity, if you will, at the lowest possible end into solutions and specialization and customization and all of that stuff. Chris, we ask all of our guests on Reveal this one question. So if you've heard the episodes before, you know what's coming. But for everyone else out there, here it comes. Chris, if you could describe sales in one word, what would it be? Valuable. To me, sales is an organic value-added conversation. It goes where it needs to go. From multiple backgrounds, I've come to find that if you ask somebody, tell me about your problems. And my favorite way to diagnose a business, and I've used this for years, is tell me what sucks. Tell me what sucks. It's easiest. It breaks down the walls. People are like, oh, he said something funny. Now, how would you fix it? People need to be heard and they need to feel like you understand. Gartner even put out the science to back it up, which is, does this person understand my business and my problems? And do they understand how their solution fits in context of my business, the market to solve my problems? And those drive buyer consensus. How do we make somebody feel heard? And that's let that conversation go. Don't try to steer it. Don't try to control it. Certainly validate what you're hearing. That's what it means to me. Perfectly stated. Well, Chris, coming to you from the Starship Enterprise that is TransUnion, the head of digital sales enablement, thank you for socializing, democratizing, liberating all the pearls of wisdoms that you've accumulated throughout your years at the helm of an absolutely mission-critical function for a globally recognized brand. So Chris, thank you so much to our listeners out there. Go forth and prosper with sales being valuable. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you, Danny. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io. If you like what you heard, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.